Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. James chapter 2. If you uh, need a Bible, you can put it in your lap. Uh, please feel free to grab one off the side of the tech booth. If you're a user of the Bible app, uh, you can open up that app and find our live event and track along with the scriptures and sermon notes. Uh, I, had a, um, I had an issue yesterday. I had to haul something, a fairly large something. And here's my problem. I, I, I drive a, a couple, maybe four or five years ago now. Uh, my wife and I did the car switch. Previously, she, rode, she drove the family ride. And then I had the non-family ride. And then, uh, I don't know, 2018 or so, things flipped. She took the little blue sports car, hot number, right? And I got the Ford Expedition, drives like a tank. I'm pretty sure I could invade a third world country if I needed to in that. Yeah? And so for us, with all the kids and all the stuff we haul around and all the things that we do, uh, we need it. We got the thing. And, and uh, the, the problem, the challenge was I needed to haul this sucker. And it's got the third row seat where one-third of it and two-thirds of it. The one-third folded down, no problem. I got to flip the two-thirds part and the cable that pulls the spring that does the deal that makes the thing go down is not working this is a major problem so i like flip all the seats up get down underneath there squint one eye hold my breath and stick my finger in there and flip the latch and the thing comes down and i'm like glory glory I don't need to know how the cable works. Please don't come up afterwards and tell me right now, okay? That's a different problem for a different day. I'm sure there's a YouTube video with the 28 steps to fix your cable in your 2017 Ford Expedition. I don't need that video right now. Please don't send it to me. I just needed it to work because I had to get a big box of stuff into the back of my car, yeah? I just needed it to work. Um, There are passages in the scripture, there are passages in the scripture uh, that will tell you um, about faith and how it works and this kind of thing, and we'll lay it out. Boom, 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 boom. This is not James. James is very practical. He's very clear. He just needs to get the box in the back. That's all he needs to do. He just needs the seat to lay down. He just needs the thing to work. That's what he wants. This is what um, we're after here. So James chapter 2, uh, verse 14. <clears throat> what good is it, brothers uh, and sisters, If someone says he has faith but doesn't have works, can that faith save him? So just pause right here before we jump in any further and just note that James has now taken it from, hey, the seat needs to work in the back so you can put the box in to something much more substantial than that. Can that faith save him? The question on the table here is a question uh, of of, uh, experiencing the salvation that God has for us and not. The the question on the table is, this is a matter of life and death. Are we going to simply have a faith in our mouth that we say when it's convenient? Or are we going to like fully take it in and digest it and let it become a part of us? Are we going to be a people who nod simply in agreement? Oh, yes, 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 I believe that or um, are we going to actually know this faith that um, that James is describing? Are we going to be people who give assent to a simple fact um, or a doctrine or a reality? We kind of make, if you will, this this word come out of our mouth, um, or are we going to be people who let that word become actionable in our lives? Are we going to be the people who celebrate what Jesus has done while refusing to join Him? in what he's still doing. James has gotten way past, let's just get the seat down 
and get the box in the back of the car. James is at the point where he has ratcheted it up to say, can that kind of faith save him? This is how critical this passage is. Um, I, I will just note here before we uh, go um, before we go any further, um, James at certain points uses in the Greek language it's called a definite article. In our particular uh, English, we, we would use the. He uses the the article the before, uh, or if you're from Texas, the. So he uses the article the b- before um, faith at certain points, and so or he could you you could translate it something like this kind of faith or this particular version of faith. And so when I read this, I'm going to translate it as such. If you want to make a, a, just a dot or an underline or a note out to the side that he's using in the definite article, when you hear me say that, you'll note that that's the, the definite article is there. And if you don't understand any of that, no big deal. But it's really important to how I understand what James is actually doing. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that kind of faith, there's the first definite article, can that kind of faith save him? What is his anticipated answer to that? No. No, no. So he's giving some examples here. Here's the first example. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, this kind of faith, what kind of faith? The kind of faith that says, go uh, be warm and be filled. This kind of faith, if it is by itself, uh, if it does not have works, is dead. So here's example number one, a person, uh, a person in need. And uh, James, again, very practical, comes up with a very practical example. Previously in the chapter, in chapter 2, he talked about a very practical example. We talked about this last week. A rich man comes in, a poor man comes in, and you figure out how they're going to be seated and what the partiality that you experience in that moment says about your faith. He's really practical here. In this particular case, uh, somebody comes in uh, shabbily dressed, not doing particularly well, really hungry, and you just say, be warm and well-fed. Um, what, what, what you're doing there in that moment is offering a verbal blessing. Oh, go, be blessed. May God bless you. I will pray for you. Be blessed. Oh, yes, 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 yes. But it's not a blessing. It's a curse. Why? Because if, if, if somebody comes to you and is standing before you, and there is... Um, uh, they uh, need clothes to stay warm, and they need food um, to fill their belly. And you say, be warm and well-fed. You say that to them, oh, may God bless you with warmth and food. You, <laughs> you are striking at the heart of their need. It's not a blessing at all. If all you're doing is giving verbal um, things, you're not meeting their need. You're certainly not meeting their need, but you're also striking at the heart of their need. And James specifically asked the question at the end of verse 16, what good is that? In other words, what profit is that? How is it profitable? It's the same word he used back in, for, in, in verse 14. What profit is it? What good is it, brothers, if somebody says he has faith but doesn't have works? It's no good at all. Verbal blessing that is actually a curse. And um, as this person stands before you, there is no love of neighbor being expressed in that moment. That kind of verbal, oh yes, be blessed. I'm going to pray for you that God will bless you, give you what you need. That verbal blessing um, is not an expression of love of neighbor. You are not thinking about what they actually need. You are not thinking about 
um, how uh, to, to accomplish God's best for their life. There is no, if you will, from last week, there is no clarity about the need that is before you, and there is no compassion that is burning in you to meet that need. There is no clarity, and there is no compassion. There is no love of neighbor, therefore, the person remains in need in front of you. Can that kind of faith save him? Uh, yesterday, one of mine and I, uh, we, made the, uh, we made a stop in the afternoon at the Paragon of Texas Afternoon Snack Stop, Dairy Queen. So we roll in. We've got a couple of things we're going to get and take back to others. Um, we have our order. We make our order. I'm standing over here to my left. We're at the counter right here, registers right in front of us. Standing over here to my left is a discussion going on that's, that's uh, it has some... It has some oomph to it. You, you, have you seen this in a fast food restaurant before where you're over here and you see somebody having a conversation with one of the employees that's got some, it's got some oomph. And this is happening. Um, so apparently um, uh, the, the mom uh, had, had uh, ordered a banana split uh, for their youngest uh, daughter and they didn't get charged for it so they didn't get it. Um, and, and the mom, and I don't, I, I, this is without a disparaging thing, the mom looked like she had led a hard life. Kids are probably seven and five, maybe, seven and four in that ballpark. And the kids look like they live with a mom who had led a hard life, yeah? So a little bit, the little girl keeps looking over at me. And I don't want to be creepy guy at the Dairy Queen, so I'm like, hey, you know, and then I kind of try to come back, hey, you know, like that kind of thing. This is that. Um, but they, they are having quite the, quite the rousing conversation with the employees and among themselves about the banana split. And so finally they figure out, we didn't pay for it, we can't get it. Mom bends down, grabs the little girl's face in her hands and says, honey, do you really want a banana split? Yes, mommy. So mom stands up and starts digging through her purse, obviously on the hunt for money that's going to make that banana split happen. I'm at the register. I'm thinking, faith without works is dead. Anybody have that moment? So I lean over. I said, ma'am, you about to charge her for banana split? Yeah, I'm paying for it. Oh, you don't have to do I know I don't have to do that, ma'am. I... Are you serious? Do I look like I'm serious? Just put banana split. Just ring it up. Well, I I need to give her her money back and go tell her. You don't need to give her money back until you ring me up and let me walk out of here. Well, what do you want me to tell her? Here's what I want you to tell her. There are some mean religious people in the world, and then there are people who Jesus has transformed. And there are people around her that like that so that God knows that she had that situation going on. That's all you need to tell her. Oh, I can tell her that. That good. Go tell her that. I'm walking out with my... This is the thing. I'm telling you, Curtis Ramsey, I came this close to putting it on the church credit card just so all of us could share in that moment right there. For all of us. I didn't. I was on mine, okay? But I almost did just so we could have that moment together. We as a church, I I would have come back to you and said, we bought a banana split for a four-year-old who went through, it looked like a pretty rough time there. We almost did that together. Instead, I kept it to myself. So there. And now I just completely ruined my reward by telling you a story. I get all that. Okay, that's fine. Uh, yours may not be in Dairy Queen. And it may not be a cute little blonde-headed girl in, in a fairly ragtag dress. Uh, yours may look different, sound different, be different, express itself differently. My bet, though, is that somewhere this week you will encounter a person in need. 
And I'm not going to stand before you and preach about faith without works is dead, without a banana split on my credit card. And you probably don't want to come back next week thinking about how James has been gone to work on us without stepping into that need right there, whatever it may be. A clarity. Yes, clarity. I mean, we want to be actually helpful, not just pretend to be helpful. We're not about making them or us feel good. We're actually about providing help, clarity, but also a compassion. Second example. Verse um, 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me this version of faith that you claim. That's what it, show me your faith, th- this version of faith that you claim apart from your works. And I will show you my version of faith that I claim by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Here's example number two. Um, what I just termed invisible faith, which in reality, folks, is not faith at all. Invisible faith is not faith at all. Why? Because the faith that you have will be seen. There's no question about it. There's no, uh, uh, there's no argument about it. The faith that you have, it will show up. In this particular version of it here, you show me your version of faith apart from your works. Oh, look at me. I've got the right version of this. I, I, I've, got, I've got a faith here. Well, where, where, how does it work its way out in your life? Uh, well, uh, one time I walked an aisle at camp and I prayed a prayer and I'm telling you that I have faith. I got baptized, whatever. Blah, 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 whatever. Like, how does it work its way out? Well... The faith that you have, it will be seen. You show me your faith apart from your works. I'm going to show you my faith how? By my works. By my works. That's what he says. The faith that you have will be seen. Uh, If it's not faith in Jesus, then the faith that you have in um, your resources will be seen. If it's not faith in Jesus, then the faith that you have in your own strength, your capacity, it will be seen. If it's not your faith in Jesus, then the faith that you have in your own um, like wisdom and knowledge, it will be seen. If it's not faith in Jesus, then the faith that you have in your relationships and your social connections, it will be seen. If it's not faith in Jesus that you have, then it's faith in the politicians or the political system or the political line of thinking that will be seen. If it's not faith in Jesus, then it's faith in medicine that will be seen. Whatever it is, it will be seen. The faith that you have will be seen. It will show in your works. And just to be clear on this, uh, correct doctrine or proper doctrine, it's not the same as faith. Verse 20, uh, sorry, 19, you believe that God is one. Now he's He's referencing there Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's the most, it's the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Like, it is the most famous verse in the Old Testament. John, uh, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. I mean, that's, that's what he's talking about. You believe that God is one. You do well. Meaning what? Good job. That's proper theology. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. In the, um, in, in the Reformation, the 1500s, where God kind of brought some restorative power to the gospel, um, of the gospel to the church, um, they, the, the reformers, those theologians, put together a three-legged stool of faith. Now I'm just going to give these to you in, in plain English. If you want to know what they are in Latin, notitia, ascensus, and fiducia. And the only reason I say that is to show you that I studied this week, okay? But here... <laughs> 
Here they are. They are facts. God is one. It is um, a conviction. That this, these facts affect me. And then it is willingness. It is facts, conviction, and willingness. I am willing to do then, to live then, to be then, uh, to say then, to spend then, to hope then. I am willing to do those things in light of what God has said and uh, who he is. Facts, conviction, and willingness. Hey, church family, look, proper doctrine is not faith. Even the demons had two out of those three. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. They had the facts. And they had a conviction. They had no willingness to submit to his authority and to live as he desires. That's example number two. Invisible faith is not faith at all. Your faith will become visible. Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, O foolish person, that this kind of faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Pause right here for just a second. Let's upload the story, okay? Genesis chapter 22, if you're not familiar with the story, Genesis chapter 22, um, God sends Abraham uh, up the mountain with Isaac, his son, the son that he promised uh, was going to be the one uh, through whom uh, the blessing came. And he says, I want you to go up and offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham has some, some questions and quandaries along the way. You and I have questions and quandaries about this. This is, the, this is what happens. I mean, all the other gods, all the other gods do it this way. I guess the Yahweh, the true God, is, is just like all the other gods. Um, or um, maybe, yeah, well, I sent Ishmael, my other son, away. Maybe God is bringing that, visiting that back on my head. Maybe I'm finally getting what I deserve here. He had to work through all this. Um, so that, that, that's kind of the story. He gets up on, uh, on the mountain there, um, get, goes to uh, sacrifice his son, and God had already provided a sacrifice in Isaac's place. Where do I know a story about a father and a son and a sacrifice and a substitute? I know that story. I know that story. That's the gospel. So here's example number three, Abraham. Um, so uh, wasn't he uh, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works. Excuse me. You see that this kind of faith uh, was active along with his works. And this faith, this kind of faith of Abraham was completed by his works. Those two phrases I want you to hold on to. Faith was active with his works. The, the, the kind of faith that James is putting on display here was active with the works of Abraham. So much so that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, the author of Hebrews um, uh, does some reflecting on this and says, man, however he worked through that, whatever he worked through, he believed that he would uh, see Isaac fulfill the promise. Meaning what? That uh, specifically that he was going to receive Isaac back from the dead. Like he was going to see a resurrection. That's what it says. Faith was active with his works. But also faith was completed by his works. The kind of faith that we're talking about here is the kind of faith that gets completed by works. This is exactly what we were talking about with the three-legged stool. Facts about who God is. 
um, conviction about those facts, like they affect me deep down, and then a willingness to do, uh, to live a life that is based on the things that are um, happening to me, that are rolling around inside of me, that have been revealed to me. Facts, um, conviction, and then willingness. This is Abraham. One more example, verse 25. And in this, oh, uh, sorry, let's, let's read verse 23 also. The scripture was fulfilled, um, uh, was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. That's the story of Abraham. Now skip down to verse 25. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works this kind of faith, apart from works, is that. So here's what I want to do. Again, I want to upload the story of Rahab into our brains here. Um, uh, Joshua chapter 2, Rahab is a prostitute, lives in the wall of Jericho. Um, Jericho is about to fall. It's the first big place that the people of Israel encounter when they walk into, uh, walk into the promised land. Um, Rahab. Uh, puts the spies up and she has a confession of faith about verse 12 or so in Joshua chapter 2. She says, man, when we heard about all the things that God done, our hearts melted. We know this, that the Lord, your God, is the Lord of the heavens above and the earth below. That's a statement of faith right there. And then her actions were congruent with that statement. Her actions were congruent with that statement. There was no disconnect, no problem there. Um, her confession was, and her action, they, they were congruent. Um, the, the last thing I'll say about this is that uh, her life, um, the, the life of Rahab, it was imperfect. But it was also in process. Uh, Rahab was a prostitute of a foreign people, in a foreign land, among the enemies of God. Yet, because of her faith, began to act and it began to change her and act so much so that Rahab became part of the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah. And just in case you think we're picking on Rahab, the prostitute, let's go ahead and say it. Abraham, the father of the faith. Boy, he had some stuff, right? His life was definitely imperfect, but he was also in process. Guess who else this can be said of? Trent, Trent, um, his life is imperfect and his life is in process. Anybody else? We're not picking on people. James is just holding these people up to go. Faith works itself out in this. Now, if you'll notice, if you'll notice, we skipped a verse. I hope you noticed. This is a difficult verse here in James chapter 2. And I saved it for last. Verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, if you grew up around church, you know that that verse sets off all sorts of alarm bells in your head because you think to yourself, hey, that's not what the Bible says. Well, no, quite literally. I mean, it literally says that right there. So I have two, I have two questions about this. How in the world can James get away with saying this? Like how? How is this possible? Because in places like Galatians 2, verse 16, it says that we are justified through Christ and not by works of the law. Paul is very clear. 
We are justified. We are made right with God by Jesus and not by works of the law. But James here, he's like, yeah, we're justified by our works and not by faith alone. You're like, hey, what's the deal? Paul, again, Romans 3, verse 28, we are justified apart from the works of the law. James. You see, the person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Like, should we just throw... James and Paul in a cage and let him duke it out and put it on HBO? I mean, like, what should we do here to figure this out? What should happen as a result of this? Hey, well, Paul wrote more of the New Testament. Maybe he's more right than... No, 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 no. What we see here throughout the New Testament is that faith and works are found together. And it is, it is the works that prove the existence of that faith, the validity of that faith, and the nature of that faith. Faith and works all throughout the New Testament, all throughout, they are found together. And works prove the nature and the, excuse me, the existence and the nature and the validity of that faith. This is nothing more than the New Testament is saying all along. Jesus, you want to know uh, what kind of tree um, that you have in front of you? What do you do? You look at the fruit coming off of the tree. The root will tell you about the fruit. An apple tree is an apple tree because it bears apples. This is what happens. Jesus later in Matthew chapter 25, people take this passage and try to make it say all sorts of stuff that it doesn't say. Jesus is sitting, he said, the son of man, the king, um, he, he brings people before him and there's a, a, a division among them. He puts the goats over here and the sheep over here. And then he turns to the sheep, it's like sheep, my sheep, sheep. You visited me when I was sick. You uh, brought me food when I was hungry. You clothed me when I didn't have any of that. Man, thanks. And they're like, when did we do that? Well, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. What Jesus never said in that moment, please hear that. What he never said in that moment is, because you did these things, that's why you're in the sheep group. They were divided first. Then, then, then he told them why that was the case. They didn't become sheep because they did those things. They did those things because they were sheep. Faith and works are found together throughout the New Testament. How about Peter? In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 17, he says, you need to uh, uh, give yourself um, and trust yourself and, and, and live in light of this fa- the, the Father who judges without partiality. Conduct yourself, he says, with fear, knowing that you were ransomed. How were you ransomed? Uh, not by gold or silver or precious jewels, but by the blood of Christ. We were ransomed, therefore we conduct ourselves in light of that. Uh, John, in 1 John Uh, Chapter 2, he says, if you want to figure out if you know God, then you look at your obedience. Those who know God, obey him. If they don't obey, guess what? They don't know God. Later in chapter 4 of 1 John, here's what he says. You can't say that you love God who you haven't seen if you don't love your brother that you have. Faith and works, they are found together. And you think to yourself, that's fine, that's fine. But what about Paul? Like Paul, I'm so glad you asked about Paul. This is a few verses after the verse that we prayed through earlier. If you know a set of verses in Ephesians 2, these are the verses. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works 
so that no one will boast. I mean, what incredible gift that is. You and I were made right with God, not on the basis of some performance that I brought to the table, not on the basis that I was good enough, smart enough, had enough, or anything enough. You and I are made right with God because of his unbelievable mercy that we sang about a while ago. Mercy that was great and grace was Three, it was given to us as a gift. We didn't earn it. And nobody gets to stand before God and go, God, aren't you so glad that I'm on your team? Not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, listen, it's not. It's not because of something that you could do for him. It's because of what he did for you. Well, here you are contradicting James again. No, 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 no. That's not the end of the passage. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. So right after all of this amazing stuff about grace and faith, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. So here we are again, Paul, and we could have picked five other passages out of the, the letters of Paul to say the exact same thing. Listen, faith and works, they are found together, and it's the works that prove the existence of and the nature of and the validity of the faith that we claim. Or, and I just, if James, if James... Paul, let me start with Paul. Paul, make sure that we understand that dead works cannot produce living faith. James, he makes sure that, that we know that dead faith does not produce good works. Or, since it's football season, we could say it like this in this one minute video. Just watch. 1982. NFC Championship game. It was against the Cowboys, so we got that going for us, right? 1982, if, you, uh, if you're looking for it on YouTube, it's called, anybody? The Catch. The Catch. Here, here's the question. How good of a quarterback was Joe Montana to throw that ball? He was fantastic. Did you see the little head fake right before? He's like, oh, I got you. <laughs> you know, throw it. How athletic was Dwight Clark at a tight end to go up and get that ball? Great throw. Great catch. Which one? Yes. 
faith and works. Great throw. Great catch. Faith and works, they are found together. They are found together. So how can he say this? This is, this is how. Why? Why did he say this? Here, here's the single statement that I want us to, to hold on to. I'm going back here um, to the passage. If the body is, this is verse 26, for the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also this kind of faith apart from works is dead. There, there is a faith, there is a faith that you and I can claim. And then there is a faith that claims us. There is a faith that we can put in our mouths and say, yeah, sure, we believe that. It tends to go away when our fears are assuaged and our pain has abated. There's a faith that we claim, and then there's a faith that claims us. James is talking about that. The whole Bible is talking about the faith that lays claim to you and to me. We have a living faith. Why? We have a living faith because we have a living Messiah, a living Savior. Ours is a faith that works its way out. Why? Because Jesus is at work in us. And what is he doing? He's, he's working things out in our world. We see needy people and we step forward toward that with wisdom and clarity, but also compassion. We see examples that have gone before and we're like, hey, we want to be like these people. And so we're going to step forward into that. We have a living faith because we have a living Messiah. We're coming to the place where we celebrate communion as a church family. And in doing so, what we're going to root ourselves in is the story that Jesus has died and that he has risen. And we're going to do this work to remind ourselves. It's a, it's a provocation for us to remember how important it is that we tell this story over and over and over again because it's from this root that grows good fruit. It, this is the incredible throw that we get to work out in a good catch. So ready yourselves for communion. If you need to put your stuff up, fold up, whatever you need to do, take a moment, sit with God, ask him what you need to do today, what you need to say today to him, how you need to respond to him and we'll give us a moment to kind of settle in. I'll lead us in a prayer. And uh, deacons, if you're going to serve this morning, would you make your way forward, please? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he went to the cross, he had his followers in a room and he, they were celebrating um, Passover together, knowing that he himself would offer himself as the ultimate Passover lamb, the ultimate sacrifice to take the judgment of God. He took bread and he broke it and he passed it around to his followers and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. You need to eat and you need to remember. They knew that there was gravity in the moment even if they didn't understand it all. What they came to understand was that the broken body of Jesus was the vehicle through which wholeness came to them. 
Then he took a cup and he passed it around. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you. You need a drink and you need to remember me. And so, again, they knew that there was a weightiness there, but they weren't sure what they came to find out, what they came to discover, what God revealed to them was. They didn't have to relate to God on the basis of what they could do. Their works would flow out of the story that Jesus was telling. Their works were not the reason they got into the story in the first place. You and I have forgiveness today. You and I have wholeness today, healing today, goodness today unleashed in our lives because of the story that Jesus told. We're going to take this together and root ourselves in that story as we do every month. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, now um, I pray that um, what we do would be a great reminder, but also really fresh for us. Uh, please uh, let, it, let it be... Um, let, no matter the story that we're telling ourselves right now, may you, by your grace, draw us into the story that you want to tell through us. A story about great mercy and free grace. A story about a life that's lived on purpose, takes advantage of every opportunity. Help us, God, to experience this fresh today. Continue to speak and minister to your people as you see fit and as helpful. Pray this now in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen.